Hey, powerhouse. I have a very special invitation just for you. I would love to invite you to the Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat happening September 27th through October 1st in beautiful Ocean Isle, North Carolina. The Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is a life-changing experience that every single woman in law not only deserves, but needs. It's a four-night getaway in a luxurious oceanfront home with all of your needs taken care of in a house full of other powerhouse women who want the exact same things as you. It's more than a mastermind and more than a community and more than just networking connections. Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is like nothing that's ever been done before in the legal profession. The only words that I can come up with to describe it are life-changing. And if you don't believe me, just ask any of the past attendees who describe it as lightning in a bottle. One of the best experiences of their life, changing the entire trajectory of their career and a solid differentiation point between life before and after the retreat. One thing is for sure, your life and you will never be the same. So come join us September 27th through October 1st in Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. Spots are limited, so go grab yours. Head on over to eringuerner.com slash powerhouse hyphen lawyer hyphen retreat. See you there. Good girlness becomes a double-edged sword. It worked in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, it's like the rules changed, and nobody gave us the memo. And so many women have trouble giving up the perfectionist approach. Are you an ambitious attorney who wants to build a life and career that you cannot wait to wake up for? then you're in the right place. Welcome to Powerhouse Warriors, a podcast for the powerhouse in each of us. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, and life coach. And I am on a mission to empower women in the law to define success on their terms by leveraging their unique superpowers to help them win in both law and life. Join me each week to hear inspiring stories, real talk, and the practical tips you need to redefine the toxic narratives that are keeping women overwhelmed trying to do it all. You are worthy and capable of building a life and career that you have always wanted, and I'm here to empower you along the way. So if you're ready to practice law differently, let's go. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Powerhouse Lawyers. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, and I am so excited to have a special guest on the show today, my friend, Elise Holtzman, who is a former practicing lawyer, an executive coach, and a consultant, and the CEO of The Lawyer's Edge. She is one of my dear friends. We have had many, many, many conversations on the side and connected through LinkedIn, and she is just a spectacular woman and doing spectacular things. She and her team have been working for 14 years through the Lawyer's Edge to work with law firms to help them grow thriving businesses by helping lawyers become better leaders. And she's also the creator of the Lawyer's Making Rain program for law firms and Ignite Women's Business Development Accelerator. Did I say that right? 
Yep. Yep, I did. For Women Partners in Council. She also has an amazing podcast called The Lawyer's Edge. She frequently writes for publications such as Law.com and Law360. She's frequently speaking. She's just an overall powerhouse and badass, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Elise, welcome. Thank you so much. I love that. that your energy is amazing, and I sound fabulous. So I'm well, well, there we go. I mean, let's all read our bios. We should all just wake up in the morning and like have someone read our bio to us and be like, you know what? I am a badass. Let's go. Yeah, I love like, it. That's what we need on the daily. That's what the alarm should do is just start reading our bio to us. I like that idea. <laughs> well, that was obviously the bird's eye view of everything accumulated together. But I would love to just hear a little bit about your journey why you went to law school, how you became a coach, all that kind of stuff. I just take us to the start. So why I went to law school is kind of a funny one. So I grew up in a family where I think I felt like my options were either doctor or lawyer. That, that was pretty much what my parents had in mind for me because of my background um, and what they had gone through growing up. And so that's what they really wanted. And I was all in. I was going to medical school. And so I went to college and I took everything you need to go to medical school and I even sat in on a class, uh, Stanley Kaplan class for taking the MCAT. And I think they gave us the physics exam or something like that. And physics was just the bane of my existence. And after that class, I called up and said, hey, is it possible to switch to the LSAT class? And they said, she, the woman actually said to me on the phone, honey, you're not the only one. It was like that class weeded me out. Like if nothing else did, it was that. But the truth is I had been looking into doing something else because I think that where the sweet spot is for most people is kind of the intersection of what you love and what you're good at. And the medical stuff was what I loved, but it didn't come as naturally to me, all the science and the math, whereas legal type skills, you know, speaking and writing and negotiating and communicating were things that did come naturally to me. And so I had been doing a lot of looking into what being a lawyer would look like and ultimately decided to go to law school. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got there at all. I just knew I was there and that's where I wanted to be. And when I graduated, I didn't really want to be a litigator and I didn't really want to be a corporate lawyer because that sounded really boring. And so I got very excited about doing commercial real estate transactions, which for some people is probably like watching paint dry. But for me, I just loved it. I loved doing the deals. I loved everything about it. So I practiced in that area for a while. And then, you know, back in the day, there were no coaches and there were no women mentors. I had wonderful mentors. They were all men. And, you know, the the challenge of then marrying a lawyer and having a baby kind of got in the way. There was really no part-time. I did work part-time for a while, which in New York at a big law firm was 40 hours a week for 80% of your salary. <laughs> um, and so the challenge was that I was really senior in my group. I was the most senior associate in the practice running hundreds of millions of dollars of deals. And so I was working more like 70, 80 hours a week for 80% of my salary. And without other lawyers in my family and without any guidance, I just kind of threw in the towel. And I, I hated throwing in the towel because I loved what I did and I wanted to succeed. But I wound up leaving the practice of law for a while, raising kids, and then making a decision about 15 years ago to go back into the workforce. And I discovered coaching. And so I didn't totally know what it was, but again, it sounded like a combination of what I was good at and what I loved. So I did take a full year certificate program in that. Um, and then when I got out, started my practice and started Lawyer's Edge. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. But I resonate so much with your story. I feel like you basically just told my story, like <laughs> same song, like different verse, right? right? No mentors, no community. I had no, no 
lawyers in my family, I had no one to give me any perspective on what this journey would look like as a wife, as a mom, as someone who wanted to start a family, especially within the rigidity of the profession. I hate that that story resonates over and over again, but I think that it then produces women like you and I, because I think women who become a coach are the women who are, you know, are the people who really needed that during their legal practice. But you started coaching like 15 years ago. So talk to me about these early stages of coaching, because I'm even still finding in my new coaching business and everything that I'm doing, this is still a newer concept in the law. There are still lawyers that say, oh my gosh, I didn't know people like you even existed. So talk to me about doing this 14 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So I found out about coaching from a book. I didn't even know other coaches. I was reading a book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, who is one of the co-creators of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And The Success Principles is a completely different kind of book. But in there, he talks about this idea of coaching. And I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. I had sort of heard of life coaches, and I love talking to people about a variety of issues, but life coaching didn't sound like exactly the right fit for me. But when I found out that there was executive coaching, business coaching, leadership coaching, I got really excited and I thought, wow, maybe this could be for me. Again, I was nervous about it because I didn't know anybody who had done it. And it sort of sounded a little woo-woo and a little out there, right? And the idea of calling my parents who had helped me get through college and law school and telling them, hey, by the way, I've got this law degree, but I've decided to go become like a life coach just sounded so untenable. Like I just couldn't bear oh the gosh, idea. Elise, I'm still having this conversation with my parents. Like I forwarded my dad this podcast when I was home and he was like, still like eyes of a question mark. It was right. I still don't know what you do for a living. Yeah. And so I, I remember going to my least judgmental friend and talking to her about it. And she said, wow, I think this would be such a great fit for you. And then I mentioned it to my husband and he said the same thing. He's like, my gosh, this could be so great. So I went through, you know, I went through the program. And in the beginning, when I got out, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I only felt like I knew two things. You know, one was the law and one was special needs because I have a special needs child. And I didn't want to, I didn't really want to bathe in that. I felt like I would take on everybody else's anxiety about it. And so I started thinking, like, how can I be helpful to lawyers? And goodness knows, you know, we know that lawyers can benefit from coaching in a very profound way. But as you pointed out, they weren't exactly open to it. So I found that back then individual lawyers could be open to it, but the organizations, the law firms themselves were not early adopters, right? I sort of tend to think of law firms as like, you know, my parents who were the last people on the block to get a microwave oven. You know what I mean? It's like, it takes a while to sink in. And so I, I started out by coaching a lot of different people so that I could get experience under my belt and then very quickly realized that working with attorneys was the way for me to go. And so I started growing my practice that way. And over time, you know, the legal industry has changed, as you well know. I mean, it used to be that we thought of it as a legal profession, right? And marketing was unseemly and talking about business was unseemly. And now it really is a legal business and a legal industry. And so, you know, many, many law firms have internal teams that do marketing, that that do professional development, have internal coaches sometimes, et cetera. So there's been a huge change since the time I started. And the other thing I'll say about that is when I started, I think there were like six of us or eight of us around the country who were working exclusively with lawyers. And now, you know, there are so many people out there 
who are former practicing lawyers who are working with lawyers because they see what the challenges continue to be in the legal workplaces, whether it's in-house or in firms, and they want to help move the needle. Absolutely. Talk to me about this transition into the firms, right? So you said you worked with a went to a bunch of people individually. What does the transition into the firm look like? And what does that experience look like when you work with a firm with your team? Often what happens is there's a recognition at the top of the law firm, whether it's coming from the management committee or it's coming from their marketing and business development people or their professional development professionals, that there is a piece missing, that the lawyers are knocking themselves out, billing the hours. These are smart people. They're hardworking people. They want to do a good job and they're serving their clients. They're standing in service of their clients. And yet there's a piece missing. The law firms need to know that there's a leadership pipeline, right? Because the leaders of the firm are going to retire, right? They're going to move on. And there's a business development pipeline, right? So when, when law firms talk about succession planning, those are typically the two things they're talking about. They're either talking about BD, business development, or they're talking about a leadership vacuum. Because a lot of times the people that started the firm, you know, sometimes it's a third or fourth generation firm, but sometimes it's a first generation firm. And these guys started a firm. They were big law refugees. They knew how to make the phone ring. And then they wind up retiring and slowing down. And all the people that are there that have been the busy beavers doing the work are like, oh my God, right? Where's the business coming from? Or, oh my God, how do I run this law firm? Because nobody taught us business development or leadership skills in law school. And so that's typically how we wind up being brought in, right? There's this recognition that, oh my God, and it's a big job, right? Because you can have these amazing marketing people or leaders in the firm, but they can't do everything. They can't, they, they have to outsource often some of the initiatives that they want to tackle. And so that that's typically how we come into the firm. So sometimes it's training, going in and doing a training program for a particular cohort. It could be on mentorship and sponsorship. It could be on business development, like the three pillars of business development or something like that. And then there's often follow-up coaching, right? Because there's a difference between training and coaching, which some people still don't understand, right? They use the terms interchangeably. And the coaching helps people actually customize what they've learned for themselves because each one is an individual and what works for you is not necessarily going to work for me and also helps them implement. Because rather than just going back to their desk and doing the same thing they've always been doing, it's kind of like going to the personal trainer who's standing there at the gym at five o'clock in the morning, right? Because you paid this person to be there and kind of crack the whip and make sure you get done what you said you wanted to get done. And so that's typically what it looks like when we go into a firm. Yeah. And that's so incredibly helpful because you're right. They don't teach you how to do any of these things. And as lawyers, when we don't know how to do something, because you're supposed to be sitting in the seat of authority all day long. And when you don't know how to do something, it's it's paralyzing. So you just keep throwing spaghetti at like, it's like the definition of insanity. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, which is well, why also, a coach is so crucial because they can get you out of that hamster wheel, taking different action, but to accomplish the, the same goal that you always wanted to. Exactly. And, you know, as you were saying, it becomes the hamster wheel because look, lawyers are used to being smart and it doesn't necessarily mean it's an ego thing. It's just what we've been used to. We did well in school. Law school's not easy to get into. Then we got into law school. We did well there, got great jobs, whatever it may be. And so we're used to feeling competent. And our clients expect us to show up as competent people who can help them achieve their goals. When you don't know how to do something, most people will just push that to the side. 
Because if I have a choice between going out and doing something that makes me unbelievably uncomfortable and I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, and on the other hand, sitting at my desk and doing work that I know how to do, I'm going to choose the work on my desk every single time, or most people will, because it's comfortable. I feel competent. I feel like I know what I'm doing. My stress level is low. And so that's where the training can come in because we can turn on the light bulb and say, hey, and, and you know, a lot of people are critical of lawyers, right? Oh, lawyers are, you know, such bad business people. Yeah, that's probably true, but it's not their fault, right? It, so I'm not really critical about it. It's like, okay, no problem. Let's turn the light bulb on for you so you understand the principles of whatever it may be. And then let's get you some support so that as you start executing on it, you have someone there to navigate the process with you. Which is huge. It's like, it's literally like our workbook that we love. Like we love like a workbook and then we have a support person to help us do the workbook. Like that is, <laughs> that like in lawyer speak is what that is. So talk right. to me about women in particular. If you're with these law firms, obviously you've got women in there. Talk to me about the different struggles that women face business development wise within a firm or just things that you've seen over your 14 year career as it speaks to women in particular. I think there are two different kinds of obstacles for women. Obviously, there's opportunity out there for everybody. It's a world where, you know, we live in a country with the U.S. has 1.3 million lawyers. So there's a lot of need for lawyers out there. So there's a lot of opportunity. But for everybody, there are obstacles, right? If there weren't obstacles, we'd all have exactly what we wanted to. And so I think for women in particular, there are particular obstacles that tend to come up over and over again. And so one can fall into the category of external obstacles, right? For example, we know that we've been graduating women at the rate of 50% from law schools for about 30 years. And yet, if you look in senior leadership roles at law firms and in in-house positions, although not as much, like I, I do the vast majority of my work with law firms, we know that there are not as many women in positions of leadership. And so first of all, the external obstacle is we're not seeing as many people like us as we like to. There are not as many role models. There are far more than there were when I was practicing, and, and I'm grateful for that. But it's still a truth. Historically, also, there have been groups or clubs or networks that women feel that they haven't had access to, right, that only men have had access to. So you know, I remember all my father wanted for us when we got married, my husband and myself, was for us to join a country club because we were never able to do that when I was growing up. And he just, he kept saying, well, your husband will be able to develop business on the golf course, right? Like that was his view of what was success because he had seen other people do that and he couldn't do it. But the idea is, yes, there are those sorts of clubs of whatever kind that women have not always had easy access to. So the boys club, literally and figuratively. I think that most of what's getting in our way these days is internal obstacles that come from how girls and women are still socialized. And so there's an idea that women are socialized to be good girls. We're socialized to be perfect, right? Dot all the I's, cross all the T's, get the good grades, don't speak out of turn, don't be loud, say yes, be helpful, all of that sort of thing. And so what happens is that actually works really well for us when we're very young or we're junior. The teacher loves you. You get a great recommendation. You go to a great school. You get good grades. All of that good stuff happens. You get a great job. You're an awesome associate because you do what everybody asks you to do. And you'll, you know, you'll run yourself into the ground making it happen. As women become more senior, as everybody becomes more senior, their job becomes more about managing and leading other people and raising their own profile 
and not as much about the doing, doing, doing and the dotting the I's and the P's, right? Because we know that the senior partner is not sitting up at night proofreading documents, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, somebody else is doing that. And so there are other things that that senior leader needs to be doing, running an organization, developing business, mentoring other people and, and preparing for the future of the firm. But because of the way we've been socialized, many women have trouble making that jump. So perfectionism, right, and good girlness becomes a double-edged sword. It worked in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, it's like the rules changed, and nobody gave us the memo. And so many women, again, this is not a criticism, simply an observation, you know, both from research I've seen as well as my own observations, what happens is we have trouble giving up the good girl approach, the perfectionist approach. We're going to wait until we have, you know, 16 job requirements on, on the job description. Um, whereas a guy will see seven and go, you know, I'll throw my hat in the ring. What the heck? What's the worst that could happen? Right. And so I think that that's part of the challenge. And when women are able to be in spaces together and talk about these things, um, I find that it's very helpful. I'm not suggesting that there aren't incredibly confident women. At, first of all, they're incredibly competent to begin with. And I'm not suggesting that this holds true for every woman, but what I've seen is that having these conversations and being able to navigate the challenges with other women can be very, very helpful. And so that's one of the reasons, it's funny because I have always thought of myself, you know, I always had guy friends. I've always felt very comfortable in a room full of guys, but even as I've gotten, you know, older, and I've looked around, I thought, you know, we haven't moved the needle as much as I thought we were going to back in the day. We've moved it a lot, but there still are opportunities here for women to, to come together, you know, talk about these issues, tackle these issues, and not only grow individually as leaders and business developers, but support other women in the industry and support the, the retention and advancement of other women in the legal industry. Absolutely. And I think that's, we share a similar mission, you and I, in doing that because we're showing women that there is a different and better way if we can put down the sword of perfectionism. You know, I felt like a lot of, for me, at least it was getting out of my own way. Like I needed to get out of my own way. And it was, it was putting down that, I mean, right before we even got on this call, I was like, done is better than perfect. That's our motto. That's how we're rolling. <laughs> But it's taken me a lot of work to get there because a my natural you. instinct is to say, oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't move until I know the next best move. But that is actually hindering you. I heard this the other day, like grit without community is just resistance, right? Because you're just doing everything yourself. But grit with community, with other women in law, sharing your stories, empowering each other, that's like where magic happens. Well, I think that's another issue that you raised that comes up a lot in the work that I do is the do-it-yourselfer notion that we were sort of sold a bill of goods and we were sold a bill of goods in a loving way in the sense that women were told, hey, you can do everything. You can be everything. You can do anything you want. And we can anything we want. We just can't do everything we want. Nobody can. And yet we interpret being able to do anything we want as having to do everything ourselves. And so asking for help, for some people is very challenging because it, it's somehow a referendum on who you are as a person that you somehow can't get it all done. So you must be not the superwoman that you think you are or that you want to be, or you think other people need to see you as. And so I think that for some people, 
asking for help, accepting help, taking that for women, especially taking the time to invest in yourself, right? So for some women, coaching, even investing in coaching feels like a heavy lift. Oh, well, you know, I could be putting that money into my kids' gymnastics, or, you know, I thought we were going to save for a vacation next year, and I don't want to take that away from the family. Well, you know, it's, it's like that whole thing about, you know, the old story about the oxygen mask on the airplane, right? Women have kind of been socialized that we need to give to everyone else and that it's unseemly and not okay for us to give to ourselves. And so sometimes even in the beginning, I found that most of my clients were men. And this is going back again, like I said, 14, 15 years. And the people kept saying to me, why? And I kept saying, I think it's because a lot of women don't feel that it's okay to invest in themselves. Now, I think that's but it hasn't changed enough. And so being willing to ask for help, being willing to accept help and not have it feel like there's something wrong with you, I think is very important. But again, it goes back to our socialization. Help everyone else, be superwoman, be supermom, have everything perfect. You know, anything that goes wrong is a reflection on you. And I think that that has a huge impact on people. Absolutely. What are some things that we can tell women who are listening today to help them unwind that mindset, because all of that resonates with me. And it's taken lots of work with a coach and personal work on myself over time to really unwind a lot of these narratives that you're talking about. But for our viewers who are listening, who I'm sure resonate as well with everything that we've said, what are some tips that we can give them some like action items to start maybe getting off of this hamster wheel and getting into action? Okay. So a couple of things. First of all, I think that going back to this idea of investing in yourself, I think it is not just important to invest in yourself. And that could be time, right? It doesn't have to be a coach. It could be time. It could be money. It could be energy. Investing in yourself to work on yourself and take care of yourself and fill yourself up, however that is, spiritually, religiously, just staring at the ceiling for an hour and not having to take care of somebody else, whatever it is, I think it's absolutely critical. And I remember early on when I had little kids and my kids are adults now, when I had little kids, people saying, you have to take care of yourself because how are you going to take care of everybody else? And I thought to myself, that's the reason? Like, I can't just take care of myself because it's myself and I'm valued and valid. It was always about, again, this goes back to what women are supposed to do. We are supposed to take care of other people. And so, yes, please take care of yourself so you can take care of your spouse and these 87 kids and your job and your boss and everybody else, right? And the community fundraiser that you're going to make bigger than it's ever been and the whole- Big sale and everything else. Right, exactly. Yes. And so what I believe is that you as a woman, I believe that it's absolutely essential that you take care of yourself and invest in yourself simply for you. You are worth it. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a L'Oreal commercial, right? You're worth it. Another thing- is something that you just mentioned, that done is better than perfect. The perfection is really hard to let go of, right? That's what's expected of us. We don't necessarily expect perfectionism out of everyone else. In the legal world, yes, right? We want the, no typos and all of that stuff, and we were trained to be a little bit kooky about that. But when it comes to everyday living, done is better than perfect. Most people are not going to notice the things that you think are the problem. You know, you've got one hair out of place or your lipstick is slightly crooked or whatever it is. Other people aren't going to notice that. My uncle said something to me really funny one day because I, I am a, a perfectionist and not in a good way. I'm not saying like, oh, pat myself on the back. I'm a it's, it's awful. And what he said to me was something along the lines of, Elise, there are people who have six kids and the six kids go out to the bus 
And the little one is walking out the door, sixth in line, and she looks down and mom sees that his shoes are on the wrong feet. Now you would panic and freak out and change the shoes and make sure everything's perfect. And some moms go, bye, honey, have a great day. (laughs) See you later, right? And so that example just made me laugh because you know what? Maybe his teacher will notice it. He's not going to die, right? And But those are the kinds of things that can make us completely crazy. And so I think that done is better than perfect, which is what you said is really important. I also do think that it is important to create networks of support. And so whether that is a book club just with your girlfriends or whether that is a mastermind group that gets together or you enroll in a program like the ones you have, like the ones I have where women can come together, learn from each other, support each other, give each other tips, just listen to each other, stories. I think that that's really important. You know, we're human beings and we were not designed to go through life alone. And as my grandmother said, and I'm sure many other grandmas said the same thing, into every life, a little rain must fall. And so not everything is going to be easy, but when you have a community and you have some support, it makes it easier to navigate those situations. And again, it goes back to not doing it yourself. So I think some of those things can be helpful. Oh, absolutely. And I think the community part, at least for me, finding community with other female lawyers has been life-changing just the level of resonance to be able to, like you said, just talk and tell stories. I never realized how little I actually talked about the law or my career or how hard it was or anything. Because part of me is, again, why am I complaining when I've got this really great job that pays great? You're a big time lawyer. Are we really here to listen about your really hard client day? And like all of the crap that happened to you at the office, no one cares. You know, that's the story that goes on. So I've never, even in all of my career until I held my first retreat, which is why I know the power of doing this is bringing women together in a room. It was like spiritual in there for all of these female lawyers to finally just sit around and be like, oh my God, me too. I I understand that. I have that same feeling. Holy cow. This is how I dealt with it. I never had a community like that. Just to watch that happen in real life, to know that it exists was, it's, it was really powerful and honestly really life altering. And look, I have noticed, I have been in rooms where someone starts to cry, yeah. you know, not necessarily because they're upset, but because they finally feel that they're in a place where they're able to share without somebody saying, well, you should be grateful. And what are you complaining about? Because a lot of us were raised to don't air your dirty laundry in public right? You have to maintain a certain look for the, you know, what will the neighbors think? I was definitely raised that way. And by the way, I was raised by the two most fabulous parents in the world, but there was very much an element of that's good for other people, but we don't do that. And if we did do that, we certainly wouldn't let anybody know about it, right? That kind of thing. And so I think that that's very challenging. I also think that some people, you know, as you know, Erin, I do a lot of work with personality tools, which I never would have thought in a million years I would, you know, as a lawyer, I'm just as skeptical as the next person. But some of these personality tools can be really, really helpful in understanding ourselves and others. And I think it is important to note that you and I are both like off the charts extroverts. And it is easier for extroverts typically to share with other people, right? We will share ourselves and we will share our stories when we're in the right space more easily than introverts will. And so for those who are introverts who are listening and saying something along the lines of, well, like, I don't want to share all of that stuff with somebody else, I would say just then just listen for a while, right? Just get comfortable. Take, and if you're not comfortable, 
take the time to listen. And I suspect that for many women who are more on the introverted side of things, over time, you will see that it is a place where you can share and you might be more willing to do that and find it kind of cathartic and helpful. Absolutely. Because I think that's why stories are so powerful, because you can hear part of yours and someone else's. And it's easier to remember stories, right? I mean, you can go to a seminar where they give you a whole bunch of facts and data and information and best practices, but look throughout history before we had written language. I mean, that's how we've always, you know, we know the story. Grandma told this story to my mother and my mother told this story to me. That's how we still remember and learn and share. And so, and stories are are just powerful in lots of different ways. So if you're sharing your story, you're going to help somebody. I mean, I've had, and I'm sure you've had this too, people have come away and said, you know, like two years later, somebody says to you, oh, Aaron, I remember when you said this thing at this conference and I never forgot it. And I told all my friends about it. Imagine the impact you can have on somebody else just by sharing your own story. And so I think that, again, you know, this gets a little bit woo-woo, as I said before, but I think that for women who are thought to be better at relationship development or more natural at relationship development overall. I mean, I hate these stereotypes, right? But some of them work. We're pretty good at relationship development. And yet we get so busy with the hustle and bustle of work and kids and, you know, parents and all of that sort of thing that we forget that that can be a very valuable addition to what's going on in our professional life and actually help us improve our professional lives. And in fact, I would argue is really the key to growing and scaling any business. I mean, truly is your network and your community and your connections. Like to me, it's never really the how, it's always the who. You know, who do you know in your network? Who can you ask for counsel? Who can you add value to their life? And in turn, they add value to yours. We forget again, because we're so busy doing for everybody else. We are scared to ask for help that it's almost like, oh, well, I can't call up a colleague and say, like, how would you handle this? Because it makes me sound like I don't know what I'm doing. When if you flip the perspective, it's like, no, we're all on the same team here. You're not meant to know everything. Like if I'm a criminal lawyer and someone asked me, my uncle just died, like I'm not going to know how to probate his case. Like, you know, that's not what I specialize in and that's okay. But somebody else does know the answer. That's the real superpower that we have as lawyers that we're not really yielding is that we're very, very smart and can figure out a lot of things if we just slow down enough to figure out who we know and what we actually know already, because the next step is just actually right there in front of us. We just have to slow down long enough to be able to see what it is and to hear it. Well, I love everything you just said. There's so much to unpack there that we probably could do it all day. But just a couple of things that you mentioned. First of all, it is really important to remember for everything and particularly for business development, because, you know, we do a lot of work in the business development area that you don't know everything. You're, as you said, you're not meant to know everything. And it's absolutely okay to say to somebody, you know what, that's not my area of practice, but let me introduce you to my colleague. Uh, either inside or outside your firm. And so you're growing community that way. You're making referrals, you're helping somebody out. And then this idea of asking for help, right? We talked about this. Like if you don't know the answer to something, ask for help. That's okay. It's a strength, not a weakness. And going back to the relationship piece of things, relationships are the basis for everything, to your point. I think that, you know, we are human. And so relationships are important to us. They're part of the fabric of our lives. That is what makes life enjoyable. When it comes to business development, that's one of the pillars of business development that we talk about at the Lawyer's Ed, the three pillars of business development. The first one 
is relationship development. No matter how good the work is that you're doing, and I have no doubt that the work is great, you are not going to bring business into your firm and retain or retain your clients without developing those relationships. And so for women, right, if you believe the, the research and, and the people who just make stuff up, but if you believe that women are particularly natural at developing relationships, this is a major strength for us. Let's double down and use it. The same goes for a career advancement. If you want to shift firms, you want to shift careers, you want to move up in your organization, the relationships will help you get there. All day relationships. I mean, I look at the business that has been created in the last 18 months of my life, and it is simply built off connections. You and I, I mean, I could tell the well, story you're a, between you and I, and it's like tenfold, you know, like so yeah. many stories that you and I have of just, hi, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Have you met so-and-so? Have you talked to so-and-so? I mean, it's just incredible what can happen when we come together. It's about being a people connector. Because when you do come together with other people, you then get to connect them with others and they will do the same for you. It's fun to make an introduction for somebody, right? It fills us up. We get a little dopamine hit, right? It makes yeah, us it's feel- like, It's like saying you like set up your best friend and their husband. Right. Like, it's all because of me. You know, it's all because of you. And you, know, you go straight to heaven for something like that, right? So I think it's really important to remember- right? We don't operate in a vacuum. And for lawyers who, look, we're under so much pressure as private practice attorneys to bill hours. Bill, 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 bill. And so it's understandable that if you're sitting in your office grinding out the work, you think you're doing what the right thing to do is. And it is partly the right thing to do, but getting out there, interacting with other people, letting people know who you are, right? Another piece of the business development thing is becoming a visible expert. Because if you're the best lawyer in the world, but nobody knows about you, you, you know, you're not developing business, you're not serving the clients that you could be serving. So I think that, you know, being a people connector and look, the story of how you and I met, and I do it too, actually, but it's so rare. You just blatantly reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I do this thing. I see you do this thing. I'd really like to meet you. You know, you, you did it. And I thought, Ooh, this is fun. Right. I mean, I think most people do that. Oh, somebody wants to talk to me, like lucky me. And we've developed this really wonderful, warm relationship. And we've been able to help each other and support one another on good days and bad days. Yeah. So I think that, you know, just knowing that story for people, like just if there's someone you want to meet, just reach out to them. Like what's, you know, what's likely to happen? They're likely to say yes. And if they don't, you're no worse off than you were before. That's exactly right. I to somebody the other day was like, why would they respond to me? I was like, they go to the bathroom just like we do. Like everyone's the same. Right. We're all same. We're all human beings. We all crave connection and community. And like you said, if you're not into it, the answer is no, and that's cool. But if you are into it, let's be friends. There's so much power in bringing women together. I've just seen it time and time again. And the relationships that I have built simply over Zoom and through LinkedIn are some of my most favorite and lovely friendships and connections that I have. They're very dear to my heart and, in fact, are very foundational in my business and in my life. I mean, it has been yeah. very impactful. It's remarkable. And I think the same thing goes, you know, many times people will say, well, I haven't spoken to so-and-so th in three years, you know, it would be weird for me to reach out. And I say, imagine you're sitting in your office and the phone rings and I realize nobody calls each other anymore without an appointment, but let's pretend just for a minute, but for funsies. So, you know, you're sitting in your office and the phone rings and you pick up the phone and you hear, hey, Aaron, it's your friend so-and-so from law school. I know we haven't talked in five years, but you know what? Your name popped up on, on my computer. I was just thinking about you and I thought I'd reach out and say hello and see how you're doing. So what are you going to do? Slam the phone down and say, how dare she call me? 
you're going to be so excited to hear from her. Who doesn't want to be thought of? Who doesn't want to be valued? Like somebody was thinking about me and wants to connect with me. And so that's what people are thinking when you reconnect with them, right? So I think, again, it's it's about not worrying so much about appearances anymore and remembering that everybody, like you said, you know, we all put our pants on one leg at a time kind of a thing, right? We're all just human beings. And so again, that is it, that is a strength for many, many women. Let's double down on it. Let's use it. Let's create these communities to benefit one another and to benefit ourselves. There's nothing wrong with benefiting ourselves. You know, we were yes. sort of taught, again, put everybody in front of yourself, but you know what? For every woman who's listening to this call and for every anybody who's listening to this call, get out there develop business, make some money, become a leader in your firm, be ambitious. That's not a bad word. You know, there's a book out there called Ambitious or something like that. And it's like this idea, right? It recognizes this idea that women who are ambitious are seen as the B word, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a, a, a G-rated podcast, but- you Oh, know, no, we're, we're on the Aaron Gurner podcast. We, it's okay. We <laughs> drop real life, like F-bomb. Yeah. I'm like, but the idea is, you know, we know that, right, that that if you are ambitious and you do use your voice and you do sort of, you know, raise cane or whatever it is, that you're going to be viewed as a bitch. Well, you know what? Fine. You know, if that's what people still think, be assertive and get out there and do what you want to do. And so I'm all about that. I am too. It's funny. One of the women um, that came from my retreat, I just sent out an after thing survey and she sent it back and she was like, for the first time in my life, I'm like, hell yeah, I am an ambitious woman. And that doesn't make me a bitch. That makes me a badass. And I was like, right. that's exactly what it makes you. And that we embrace that at it. I'm like, let's go. And we're and not going to apologize for it anymore. No, no. I was like, and you are exactly. You look at what you've built. We don't turn around and say like, oh my God, look at what I've accomplished. Look at this amazing business, life, right. career, family, all of this that I've accomplished. That's pretty awesome. And I'm going to go awesome. out and make it more awesome by making more connections and building my community and my network so I can help other women do the same. That is amazing to me. It's amazing. And I mean, that's what gets me out of bed every morning. It's just, same. I just happen to love the work I do. And I know you do too. And look, I just want to be clear, right? This is not about putting men down. Or, I love men. I mean, I love men. I have wonderful men in my life. I always have, and I always will. It's not about fighting men. It's about fighting the messaging yeah. that we've gotten over the years and saying, no. And by the way, the people that were doing that messaging, they meant well, most of them, right? Our parents, our teachers, wherever those messages came from, those were people who really wanted us to succeed. And they felt that the way for us to succeed was to color inside the lines. It's All just unwrapping the narrative, right? It's rewriting exactly. the narrative that we've heard for decades and writing a new one. And that's hard and it takes time. But I think now there are more women voices that are speaking up, you, know, you and I and so many other more women who are bringing more women lawyers together. And I don't know, I just have a feeling the tide's rising. Tide's rising. And look, Erin, I'm quite a bit older than you are. And so we've had similar experiences, but the path is a little bit different. When I was practicing law, there was no such thing as a women's initiative. There was no such thing as a diversity initiative. There was no such thing as a coach or a consultant or a trainer. There were no women's groups and organizations. There were no women's bar associations, none of that stuff. And I'm not complaining. It's just an observation. It wasn't there. To your point now, there is so much out there. Not every place is going to be a fit for you, but conduct mini experiments. Try out a couple of different groups. You know, go to one of Aaron's weekends, that kind of thing, and figure out what's a good fit for you. You will find your people, and now is the time. 
don't say when my kids are grown up or, you know, when the house isn't so messy or whatever it is, or the laundry gets done. The time is now, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. It's essential for you to invest in yourself. Yes, because the return on investment is for a lifetime. Love that. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. All righty. Well, before we wrap up this amazing conversation, I always ask two questions at the very, very end. So I'm excited to hear your answers. So the first one is, Miss Elise, what is your superpower? My superpower, I suspect is similar to your superpower because I know we're the same personality type, right? Is call it GSD, getting stuff done. So I am one of these people, you know, I'm not going to paint you a picture and I'm not going to write you a song because I'm not creative that way. But if you want stuff done, I'm your girl. So I'm an executor. I, I, I like checking boxes off and I get a lot done in a short period of time. It feels good to check off boxes. Man, it feels good to check off a box. I love that. I have like a list <laughs> every day and I like like to scratch it off. My husband's like, you just scratched off what you're doing right now. I was like, I know, exactly. but it makes me feel I, better. I deserve it. I deserve <laughs> to scratch that off. Makes me feel better. Okay, next question. What is one thing that you would tell baby Elise, your younger lawyer self? I would tell baby Elise lawyer something that my father often says, which is, Elise, all the lights don't turn green at the same time. And so I always want to know, again, because of my personality, I'm what I call a control enthusiast, not a control freak. I am a control enthusiast. And so I always wanted to know what I was doing next. What am I doing next? You can't map. We know this, right? But intellectually, we know it. But it was hard for me to accept that I couldn't map out everything. And also that, and as part of that, that one's career can have peaks and valleys. I wanted everything mapped out in a certain way. And I felt that if I couldn't do everything at once and I couldn't do the crazy hours, that meant that I had to step back entirely from my career. If I had known better, I could have gone and gotten a job in a tiny little law firm in a suburb somewhere and maybe had a lifestyle. But I was so used to big law in Manhattan, you know, which is his own bucket of crazy, as you can imagine, that I thought, well, this doesn't work. And so, you know, it's all or nothing. And so I would just say, all the lights don't turn green at the same time. And don't make it about all or nothing. There are a lot of really cool shades of gray. Find the right one for you. I love that. I love that. And I've just, I hope that resonates with all of you guys listening that there's a different way and it doesn't have to be the way that you've always been told, you know, and all the lights don't turn green at the same time. That might be one of my new favorite lines. That might need to be the title of this podcast episode, in (laughs) fact, because I think that that is incredible advice to baby lawyer, Elise. Elise, thank you so much for coming on the show. We could go on and on and we could podcast for days, girl, because I love just chatting with you. We do this every time we talk. Thank you. For coming on the show. I Would you, before we go, tell people how they can find you, how they can work with you um, and how they can connect with you. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So people can visit us at thelawyersedge.com. And if you're interested in learning about our individual coaching, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're interested in the Ignite Women's Business Development Accelerator, which is a community-based group with content and coaching and all that good stuff, then you can find out about that as well. And also reach out to me on LinkedIn, Elise Holtzman. Awesome. Elise, thank you so much, my friend. I just simply adore you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Powerhouse Lawyers, thanks for joining us and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. 
If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. See you next time. Thank you.